This podcast contains explicit language. The 424 Recording Podcast begins now. Hello and welcome to 424 Recording, a podcast about home studio and lo-fi recording. We're answering recording questions and talking all things music, especially in the punk, grunge, bedroom, and indie rock genres. This is Mike from 424 Recording, and I'm pleased to be joined by Jay the Wizard from Operation Audio and Bohemisphere Studio. You? What's up, Jay? What's up, Mike? How's it going today? All right, man. We ready to give them some homeschooling? Yeah, let's do it. Right, we had a couple of questions come in um, this week from YouTube. Uh, Brian, my friend Brian, sent us one. Got one via email. If uh, if you have any questions for the podcast and you're listening to this uh, not during the live stream, we're actually recording this live on 424 Recording uh, YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash 424recording. So... Leave a comment, uh, send an email, 424recording at gmail.com if you have questions, and uh, we'll be sure to answer them on the podcast. So, uh, Matt Matt from YouTube, first question comes in. He's been having some issues with patch cables, so I figured this would be a good one to start with. All right. Kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said here. He said, what's the deal with different quality patch cables? I've been having an issue with hiss noise from the cables. Do better quality cables sound better? What constitutes a better quality cable? <laughs> Multi-part question, Matt. Matt. All right. Well, I, I guess I would say that if you are he's buying, he's been having a lot of trouble. He's yeah. been emailing me a lot about these cables that he's been getting and his well, like, scale. Of let's cables. preface this: Are the cables for? Are they like on a guitar pedal board? Are they yeah, patch cables so for they're studio? Like, yep. So they're like patch cables that okay. he, I guess he wants to use for both purposes. I think he brought. Uh, that would be weird and unusual. Seismic think, audio. But, well, oh, I that's guess your he's first not, mistake. I guess he's, well, yeah, that's yeah. what he said too. So if you if you buy cables that have molded ends, um, with a brand like Seismic or, or some Hosa. kind of some of the Hosa, had, actually, I have a lot of Hosa in my racks that have have lived a bigger? long time. Dude, I've had but such Hosa, bad luck with Hosa. But Hosa, like, well, if they're good out of the package, they'll last a while. But I've those had ones cables, that are literally die like in the middle of, I don't know, just like like I have a pedal plug in or yeah. something, and but, it'll be working one day, next day I come and it's just like what happened. But with the Hosa Pedal's cables, down. this is this is the secret to Hosa cables. Use them in an installation. Then don't move them. Some place where they're never getting moved, they're not being unplugged. Right. There's no stress on them, and they'll live forever. Okay. So but if you're constantly plugging and unplugging that, yeah. that molded end, there's not enough strain relief there because it's yeah. a hard molded thing. So it puts a hinge right at the end of the strain relief for the cable to hang on and and stretch through, basically. Right. Um, you know, all cable is not. Well, those created. molded ends too. Then if something goes wrong with it, you can't fix it. Well, you cut them off and throw them away. But. Uh, Oh, and keep the keep the wire. Well, maybe depends how good the wire was to start with. Um, you well, know, that's something else we got to get into. Oh yeah, uh, f from the chat, uh, I'm I'm subscribing says Hosa equals terrible. Yeah, I oh. mean, I I think Hosa is a great place if you need cheap cables in a hurry. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, they're just so synonymous with like every single music store ever has Hosa yeah, cables. Sure, everybody. But, I feel like everybody listening to this, everybody watching the stream. But like, I'm not kidding about. At some point, it's probably owned a like, Hosa cable. The the cables in my patch base, I've I've probably built two thirds of them, but that other third are Hosa cables. So, right. I mean, you know, they. No, that's that's true. They like, work. I had one hooking up my uh, Sans Amp. I wouldn't tour with them. Yeah, I I wouldn't rely on them in any situation where. You need cables that aren't going to just be like dead no. for no reason. It's like buying Behringer and expecting, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. 
you know, like like pristine quality. It's just not a thing. But well, uh, so so what constitutes different cable quality? <coughs> what makes different cables worth more, or I mean, better quality? Well, there are like oxygen free and oxygen ox guard oxygen barrier cables um, that There's are supposed gold to hold plated, up. Gold plated, gold tipped. Yeah. Um, Is that just all marketing? You think? Well, the the gold plating, if it's interfacing gold plating, has less contact capacitance. Um, but it's still running through a copper wire or a tinned copper wire in all cases. So it basically means shit. But cable ratings are, you know, um, by obviously by gauge, um, there's a rating for how the shield is done. If it's an all over braid, like a 98% braid, or if it's just a drain wire and a foil shield. Um, there's also a spec for capacitance per foot. You want that number to be as low as possible. Um, you know, it'll be like, uh, two picofarads a foot or something like that is, is I think fairly normal. Um, so there is some difference in cable quality. For sure. For sure. And you know, if you're making or buying balanced cables, you should be buying star quad wire, either Canair or Mogami or whatever. Um, that's the good shit. Okay. So I made I made guitar cables out of Canary Quad Star, which you're not supposed to do. Um, How come? Because it's not that's not really what it's meant for. It's too many it's redundant like conductors. It's too many redundant conductors. What but does that a, What does that mean exactly? It's a lot of added capacitance um, on the length of the cable, so you're dropping some high end. Um, but that's the Surmiser Live Rig. The base cables and the guitar cables are all made out of Canary Quad Star. Yeah, yeah, the green ones and the orange ones. And we've been running those since 2012. And I've only killed one because I smashed the guitar and broke the end off. So I right. so that trimmed was like it back and put a new end on it. User error. Yeah, I guess we want to call it that. And Tom did the same thing. He threw the base one time and broke the end off. So I had to re-end re it. But that cable is just about fucking bulletproof. It is the lowest noise best shielded stuff you could get um so but yeah um so low capacitance um highest percentage of all over shield and uh stay away from things with molded ends i've also heard and seen really bad things happen with shit like george l's pedal board uh like the lava cable ones? kits oh right. no Something no like george l's have like a it's an end that slides over the cable and then you just tighten a screw and it like pinches it down. Yeah. Um, so that, that system is shit. Hmm. A lot of people have had good luck with it. Most, most people that I know that I've seen make those cables have run into issues. So it's not worth it. Now what about, what about like the ends though? Cause I know there's a uh, Neutrik makes a couple of different types. Yeah. That's a big difference ends. too. Not really. So it's no, really the, because the, I mean, the like quality the, of the cable is well. The what. fucking gimmick is that you know they they sell you on the gold plated ends, but what they're not telling you is that most of the ends that you're or most of the jacks that you're plugging those into are lucky if they're you know nickel plated, you know brass contacts. Yeah. Who the hell cares? It doesn't make a difference. You you'll pay five extra dollars, you know, to have gold ends on something, and you know. Yeah. The only place that would be critical is if it was like a um, AES EBU, like the you know the digital transmission format on an XLR, 110 mm. ohm cables. Those I would use gold pin, but AES also 
that standard specs gold pins or gold, you know, plated receptacles. So it's meant for that. Um, okay, so there there is something to all the different, um, I don't want to say marketing uh, copy, but there it sounds like there is something. Because I was under the impression that, I mean, obviously not all cables are created equally, but... Certainly not. I know, uh, so for instance, a buddy of mine used to work at Best Buy, and in the Bay there, where they do like the audio stuff, they used to sell certain car audio cables and also sure. instrument cables. Monster cable and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. the markup, I wasn't going to say what brand, but the markup on those cables was... Yeah. There was a cable that I think they could have, because they worked there, so they would buy things yeah. at cost. Sure. That cost was like a dollar for one of those like monster cables, and they were selling this shit for like 40 bucks. Yep. And that was with like the molded ends. Well, monster cable actually used to use a crimp style end. So the end slid into the, slid onto the cable, and they had a crimp thing. So it was a non-removable, couldn't be dismantled end. Yeah, right, yeah. But, it, but it's, like a, it's like a gold-plated tip. And then it's got their little monster, like molded comes handle with like on those, it. Uh, there's like four different color ends that you can switch off. They're like little rubber bands. They might be now. I don't know. Oh, okay, but, this was yeah. But um, I just thought that that like after hearing that story and knowing about like yeah, I don't know. I just wonder sometimes about cables and, and you know, yeah. and I mean because you can get the Hosa ones and like you said they work, uh, but you know, and applications where you need them for something important. <laughs> Well, I mean, in the studio, like I said, I use them for, for important functions, but they don't ever get But they don't ever move, so they're not ever... You know, and yeah. they're strain-relieved inside the rack, so right. you basically hook them up, and that's that's about it. Um, cool. Well, I hope, Matt, for Matt, that seems like a pretty good... I mean, I guess so. I, I would stay away from any of, like, the cheap bulk cable, you know, to, like... It'll all say, like, made in China or made in Hong Kong or whatever on it, um... Most of those cables are not tested. The quality control is terrible. The, you know, the uh, shield is inconsistent, and that's really a big thing, especially when you're talking about guitar pedals. You know, you're you have a lot of high Z inputs hanging out on that board, and all of those are susceptible to that was to my noise next, transmission yeah. because if the shielding is not appropriate. That's what so. I was asking Matt Matt too on YouTube was, well, what are you sure it's not something else in your chain that's causing the noise? I, if I were you and I were having those troubles, I would, you know, if you're running a lot of boutique boxes, I would see about putting a buffer at the head of your chain and seeing if that helps. Hmm. Put a Boss tuner in there and wire it through. That'll leave your pedal board buffered and that should help cut down on at least some of the noise. Yeah, um, I mean, I've always used like over-the-counter also, if you're using a one spot, um, that's a switching power supply. Those tend to be noisy and they will, if you have like your power cables running off of one spot close to your signal cables, make sure they cross at, at right angles. Um, if they're laid side by side or worse, clumped and zip tied together, uh, you're just asking for noise transmission that way. So separate your power cables. If they have to intersect audio, make sure it's doing it at right angles. Um, hmm, interesting. And uh, so or get a better power supply that's strongly filtered, and then it won't matter as much. You know, my pedal board's a mess, but um, it's clean. The fil the power is well filtered. Yeah. So I could zip tie like. Same with mine too. Yeah. I could zip tie it all together. It wouldn't matter. Hmm. All right, Matt. Matt. Well, I hope uh, that answers your questions about or anyone's pressing issues about audio cables. And that's always an interesting topic, just because of the variety of cables available to us. Uh, so my buddy Brian, who you guys probably know from the channel, 
Uh, if you're new to the channel or podcast, this is a buddy of mine in a band called Yellow Rainbow. And so via text, he asks, does Jay know how to fix synths? I have a Waldorf Blofeld module. The problem is I turn it on, start playing, and the moment I stop hearing, I stop playing, I hear a whooshing sound followed by rapid clicking sounds. Well, Jay, you don't I'm fix I'm not sure synths, what the question right? is. Is it a modular synth, though? Because he said module. He said Waldorf Blofeld module. So that sounds to me like it's part of a modular setup. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Which may be a little less um, SMD and a, a whole lot less digital. Um, right. So that might be something that, that is doable for me. Right. Because I mean, um, so, we were talking about this before uh, we even started the stream a little bit about your experience with synths and most yeah. of that stuff you stay away from. Yeah, I mean, you know. Because of the way that it's built. Well, SMD components are, are you know, notoriously difficult to work with with soldering irons and it's very easy to damage the board, so it's generally not really worth it. Right. Um, you know, if you're equipped that way, and I do have an SMD rework station, I just, I'm not, not interested. Well, I, guess, I don't want to have to work on things with a magnifying glass and tweezers, so it's good. Right. And that's something we should mention that's too. Not Jay is to me. Um, an amp tech, and you know, so that's a that's always a good question. If you have any questions for Jay or things, if you need to ask him to fix anything or build anything, you can email him at operationaudio at gmail .com. All right. Well, that's cool. At least we know now that what your deal is with synths. In case anybody has any synth questions. Well, you know, power supply issues are usually fairly simple. Um, Broken jacks and stuff is usually bad solder joints. It's not usually that big a deal. I'll uh, I'll try the to modules. get to the bottom of that one with him too and see if he's got like. Well, let's. let's <coughs> I can Google that. If really that's quick. a, I'm guessing that's probably a Euro rack module. I'm gonna step out for one second. Yeah, sure. Find that. Um. Oh, okay, so it does look like it's some kind of a. It looks like it. Yeah, it looks like it connects into a. Uh, keyboard or a uh, not a keyboard, but a, um, like a synth controller, MIDI controller. So I don't know. Though. It looks like a pretty new device. So that's what Jay is saying about some of the components on like SMD uh, boards. They're just like super small and hard to work on. So um, I guess it's not really something Jay works on or takes a look at. So, but I don't know. Did any, anybody in the chat ever come across these Blofeld synthesizers? I've never actually. Um, I've never actually seen one of these. I guess it's, I'm a, yeah, that's cool. I guess it's like a little synth, um, basically like some of these new synths that are coming out that are, you know, a synth that's, uh, you just hook up any kind of MIDI controller to. So what is it? So it looks like this kind of guy. It's it's like a, um, looks pretty pretty new, a USB type synth or one that you can use. Like yeah, that's MIDI all digital. With. Yeah, that's what I was just explaining. It was like, it's probably all the SM, SMD uh, components. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Big DSP engine sitting know. in there Brian, somewhere. Um, I hate to uh, leave you hanging, bro, but I would say contact Waldorf about that one. That's well, let's put it this way: like a clicking, a whoosh, and a clicking sound is probably some sort of logic error that's happening. Freighter Tater, what up? He said it's completely digital in the chat. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know. Oh, not a module. I think he means it's the desktop model. Thank you, game loser. It's a digital synth. Cool. Yeah, there you go. Oh, and I'm, I'm unsubscribing. For some reason, I can't say that. Uh, it says lava, lava cables are great for pedal boards. 
Yeah, I don't know the lava stuff. I know that I saw one thing with the lava stuff that seemed cool is you can make your own. Well, that's how the George L's work too. You just need a scissors and a screwdriver oh, really? to make it up. But the George L's worked out like shit. They were terrible. Hmm. I've heard. I have heard good things about lava. So. Yeah, like I said, I don't know that that system. I'll have to look into that. But so yeah, Brian. Um, good luck, my friend. Sorry to throw you to wolves on this one, but uh, sounds like uh, you may want to, especially if that's a newer unit i would say um you might want to contact the manufacturer see what up they might be able to factory warranty it or send you another one or something i don't know or maybe they have some troubleshooting guide online uh so joshua v email if you have questions hit me up 424 recording at gmail.com and uh we'll go through them on the, the podcast said, I'm recording a four-piece band who want to record live, and I'm trying to figure out how to route inputs and utilize the 424 Mark III in this situation. I have an Art Tube MP that I was going to use with a large diaphragm contenter mic for the drums. The guitar and bass will both be coming from XLR, DI signals, and then obviously two live vocal mics. So he's got five. He's got mono drums, guitar, bass, and two vocals. My thought was to put both vocals on one track and then the bass, guitar, and drums on their own tracks. What are your thoughts on this, and how might you route everything to make it work? Well, I would say the 424, that's, we did a, Jay and I did a video about it, um, recording drums with that. Basically, it's an input that goes directly to the master fader that's independent of the master fader, so you control the volume via your uh, sub-mixer, or the mixer, uh, going into the sub-input. So what you can then do is then, enhance or add to the amount of tracks or channels that you can record with so you can do a whole mix of just i think you, if you can have that set up i'd recommend mixing the guitar bass and drums onto that uh, external mixer and then you can also oh yeah, i mean you could do the whole thing via that but also then you free up uh, more channels and, and space on the four track in case you're going to be doing any kind of overdubs which it sounds like they want to do it live so i don't know but the big thing with the four track is obviously you have four tracks to work with. And then you can either um, record all those tracks to uh, like one mono track on the four track or a stereo tracks, you know. I have a scary thought. Open. This is what I would do. Oh, let's do it. If the band's going to do it live and they're willing to commit to the sounds. Right. That's the big if. If, then I would set up, I would get a stereo pair up on my drum kit, get a good stereo spread good stereo sound tracks one and two and then i would uh pan my bass guitar slightly to one side or the other and i would pan my regular guitar to one side or the other nice and i would print all of that shit to two two stereo tracks and then you have room to put your vocals in on the two remaining tracks That's independently That's idea. so that you can control those levels because that vocal dynamic is going to be far wilder than that instrument dynamic ever will be yeah Especially if it's a well, well That's why I was band. thinking separate them. And the other thing too is like, if he doesn't have the extra mixer, um, you yeah. can probably still do that with because the the four two four has six up to six inputs at a time. So you could still you'd still be able to essentially record everything um, onto two stereo tracks, and then like Jay is saying, keep the vocals independent. So I mean, if you put even if all you had were low Z inputs with no Phantom available, which is basically where you're at. Um, you know, take a pair of R tube MP for the, but that's he's only got one of those. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. So, 
if it were me, I would look into something dynamic and set up a pair of those around the kit and find the place where it sounds the best and the kit's the most balanced. You know, it could be anything. Yeah. I mean, if what you got it's is... It's going to come down to what they sound like in the room. Yeah, but if what you've got is SM58s, then move those around until you have a, an image that sounds like you're standing in front of the drum kit as best it can be and just plug it in there. Yeah, and and uh, if you're in... If you can't separate the instruments too, like bleed. Oh well, you said everything's gonna be DI, so actually, never mind. I, I think personally, I would avoid the DI too, since you're you're committing live to so few tracks. I would do everything I could to isolate and mic those two instruments. Right. The bass, you could do DI. That'd be fine, I guess. But I was almost gonna say too, like sometimes in those situations, bleed uh, is okay. Bleed can be a good a good friend. So. Yeah, especially. I mean. If you think about bleed as an extra instrument too, I mean, you could angle the the amps towards or away from the, um, you know, those drum mics to either beef up the sound or to null out certain things in the, the sound. Right. That could really be um, a fairly powerful tool. Yeah, so there's a lot of options there then. I mean, your, your track count is limited, so you're only going to be able to go so far, but I feel like if your, your drum the stereo image on your drums is at least decent then the rest of your recording will be pretty good too because they really set drums really set the sound stage for everything else to fit in my mind anyway for sure yeah i think we touched upon that last actually last week either in the stream or the um podcast too yeah so we have a running theme here that's cool yeah. well i mean that's that's the truth of it though Absolutely. mic up a drum kit close mic everything and listen to just the close mics and then just listen to the overheads you know those overheads define the space and define what the drum kit actually is doing right whereas like you know a mono tom mic it doesn't matter where it is in space it's just going boom yeah boom, whenever the tom boom, is hit yeah. you know who cares yeah. Shit. it doesn't define there's no placement right even if you pan it you right. still got to have some kind of room in there to to, to give your your mind a place to put it cool so yeah awesome that's, that's my thought anyway well joshua i hope i we could be wrong gave you some uh, good ideas there and how to approach it no i think i think that, that sounds cool it sounds like he has an idea of what he wants to do maybe these ideas will spur him in the direction he's looking to go and uh godspeed my friend best of luck happy recording try to stay away from di's though <laughs> Okay, so uh, James via email asks, this was a list is one that came in right under the gun, too. Uh, I think he knew that, maybe he knew, maybe it's coincidence, but uh, another one of these, this seems to come up a lot, which is one which is why I wanted to address it on the podcast um, in, in relation to um, four tracks. I'm going, to back to mi I'm going back to mixed stuff I have recorded, and track two is crackling on every song. The crackle was not there while recording. Any idea of what I'm experiencing? I mean, it's tough to say exactly, not having heard the crackle, but with the experience and the, the amount of questions that are that come along with this specific question uh, over the over the course of doing the channel or whatever, uh, a lot of times this comes down to that something wrong with the tape, something happened to your tape in between uh, the recording. But if that's not the case, I would say when's the last time you cleaned the heads on the uh, four track. I would go so far as to say that if it's doing it on track two of every tape, there's something wrong with the machine. Well, he's saying that it's uh, it's one tape and track two is crackling on every song. 
But it's only a single tape. Right. So I would try a different tape and see yeah. what track two sounds like. That's like I try to like rule that's... out. Right. It that's... could be that the something was wrong with the uh, bias oscillator in the machine that you actually printed that on, and maybe track two was fucked up in a way that you know you couldn't hear it. Um, yeah, because the other thing <clears throat> with this question, we don't know how long uh, there was between, like maybe there was more recording done to the machine. Uh, could be. But, you know, as far as, like, the tape itself, I mean, if it wasn't there to start with... It's kind of always easy to troubleshoot the tape first, because that seems to be 90% of the time people ask this question, it's the tape. But track two on a tape specifically would never go bad. You're talking about a stripe across the entire length of that tape that's four human hairs wide being the only thing that went bad. Impossible impossible problems with the tape striations in the tape always happen like this across the tape they never happen across the whole length right okay so if it's stretched whatever you know if it if it moved or bent or got kinked or twisted that's the whole tape so I, true, I, right? I suspect the electronics of one machine or the other are the issue yeah I would also just clean the heads too. definitely clean the heads I mean that I mean, that's those are the given. easiest things to troubleshoot is the tape what you know? Because put another tape in. Does it does it do the same thing? And then, yeah. uh, if if it does, then clean the heads. And then if you clean the right. heads and it still does it, then you're gonna want to call Jay or somebody like Jay to go further from there. But I feel like ninety percent of the time with these type of questions, um, it's always either the tape or the heads need to be cleaned. So yeah, cool. So there's that. And then um, Matt in the chat. This is one we sort mm-hmm. of covered already, but uh, Schizo in Stereo asks, uh, this is a new segment we're doing, we might start doing on the podcast. It's called, Jay, what up with that? Oh, man. So Matt what is up in with the that? chat as I don't know. Uh, Matt in the chat says, I learned recently that analog music sounds like donkey turd through earbuds but it sounds better than digital music with over ear headphones oh, we just covered this jay what up with that yeah well I, I, in well, give us the paraphrase version because we uh well the paraphrase version i guess would be that um anything you listen through to through earbuds um, by virtue of the size and construction of the earbuds will be frequency limited um and earbuds have a really nasty uh habit of being real honky and squawky in the mid-range too on top of having almost zero bass in a lot of instances certainly no sub bass um when you get into digital music formats the codecs that are used to compress and dither and you know whatever um affect those files so that they fit on all the streaming services and stuff um and onto cds and what have you um there's all sorts of frequency limitation and effect that happens there too so with a an over-the-ear set of headphones less frequency limited you can hear things better the sound stage is better um but if you're listening to you know garbage mp3s on it then uh it's never going to sound good I don't know. I feel like I lost cool. lost track of the question. I'm not really too sure. Oh, that's but, all good. But yeah. I mean, yeah, um, maybe we can... Yeah, that's all good, man. I, I think... Uh, yeah. 
that sounded like it covered it pretty well. I mean, we went to we went to a lot more depth before. I think I think basically the the way that it boils down is that earbuds, regardless of what you listen to through them, sound like donkey poop. Um, the ones that Matt is actually talking about are like the headphones that came with Walkmans in like the '80s and '90s, um, which don't sound great, but they're certainly better than even decent earbuds. Um, better frequency response certainly across the spectrum still limited you know probably i would bet that most of those headphones don't respond to much below you know maybe 80 or 100 hertz or something like that but earbuds fundamentally don't respond to much below like you know somewhere between two and 300 maybe oh, wow. 400 hertz it's, it's very like especially super cheap so it's earbuds. cutting out the bass a lot it has to i mean if you think about the that yeah. thing's the size of basically like a, a giant pill, right? Like right. where is yeah. the where is the low frequency Where's response yeah. coming from? Mm. That little tiny driver is, you know, a total of you know, five sixteenths or something. It yeah. it can't reproduce can't, base. Yeah. I mean, you know, not in the quantity that the human ear requires to uh, actually process it as base anyway. Right. So um you know, bass is all about moving air and something that's you can't move three to air five, three to five sixteenths, and <laughs> that's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, like a guitar speaker, a six-inch guitar speaker. Sure, sure. That that's has bass for shit. You know, that's that's great limited analogy. to like, uh, you know, you're not getting a damn thing below probably 250 hertz there. But then when you get up into a 12, I mean, that that resonance moves down to, you know, 60 or 70 or something like that easily yeah, now you, now and you if you have a well picture. if you have a well designed and ported cabinet then even something like a a 10 will really pack a a good low end wallop but you know it comes down to the efficiency of the driver the efficiency of the cabinet and uh the design of both and how they're they're integrated but anyway that's beyond the the scope of the question that's good analogy i think that's a great analogy though so, Jay, thank you for answering, what up with that? That's what's up with that. All what right. is up with that? What is up with that? Man, the rain is coming down right now outside the studio. Uh, we're going to be wrapping oh. up this episode. Speaking of wrapping up. Oh, what's up? We were talking before about that, that reggae dub song. Yeah. I forgot that I dropped uh, rap verses on that. Oh, we're going to have to check I that out. I forgot to play that for you. Should we do that after the podcast? Let's do it, yeah. Or you want to do it now? Let's do. Let's do it after. All right. We got because we're uh, we're gonna be running over our thirty minute uh, episode length here. Or maybe you could play us out with it. How about that? Okay. So, um, thank you guys so much for for taking a listen uh, to the podcast. Um, this is episode number two, and it's been another episode of the Four Two Four Recording Podcast. Uh, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you email recording questions for the show at 424recording at gmail.com or leave a comment on Instagram or YouTube at 424recording. And don't forget, you can catch the live stream of the podcast Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube and hang out for the after party, which is about what we're about to kick off with this Aww, rap radio yeah. show. Uh, this is Mike from 424recording. And Jay you, from Operation Audio and the Bohemisphere. That's right. And if you want to contact Jay about fixing anything or you have any questions for Jay, hit him up, operationaudio at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and this is Mike reminding you to make sure you do something you want to do today. And happy recording. 
Peace. All right, you want to play us out, Jay? Rap reggae track? No, oh, I'm not ready. You're catching me off guard here. Hold on, I'll find it again later. Uh, we have one last. Uh, John Pittman, Jeb, a longtime viewer of the channel, and uh, what do you have to say? He said, "I'm proud of you boys for staying in the cut and delivering a worthy podcast." Oh, what? We're trying, John. We're trying. We're trying. Let me find this track again. God, I wish I was ready. This is like some Beastie Boys shit, man. This is great.